This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Today we're going to talk about truth and where the heck it has gone in 2021. Stick around. Let's check it out. This is the Gaining My Perspective podcast, and you're hanging here with me, Wendy Cunningham. You're here to get empowered, inspired, informed, and encouraged as we navigate the everyday journey of this crazy life. Stick around because we're going to laugh and we're going to learn. And above all else, we're going to gain perspective. There is an attack on truth happening right now. There is an attack, an affront, an aggressive assault on absolutes right now in our culture. And this is so sad, but you guys, this is so dangerous. This is so dangerous. That's what we're going to talk about today, you guys. And I want to dive in just by saying, jumping right on out there in a self-promotional way and say, I wrote a book. I wrote a book. I actually just signed off today on the final proofs. (laughs) I think I've said this like before, but I think I have touched this manuscript for the last time. But I really do think that this time I have touched this manuscript for the last time. I signed official contracts saying everything is edited and ready to ship off to the printers. So that's really exciting. The book is called What If You're Wrong? And it is about my journey from atheism to Christianity. And um, personally, I was someone who I knew some of the stories from the Bible. I had been exposed to, you know, in some capacity. I think we all are in some capacity exposed to these things. But to be honest with you, the gospel story, um, the story of Jesus was never going to convert me. I didn't believe in the Bible. I was sure it was just a fallible document, and I didn't believe in Jesus. And so, of course, I didn't believe in any salvation power coming from the Bible or Jesus. So my husband, in his approach to our conversation, just went about it a little bit differently and um, approached it just from more of a, you know, logical, in my perspective, a logical approach, more of a rational understanding of creation and the possibility of it and the argument for it. And you guys, what the reason why I'm so passionate about absolutes and truth is once I was able to strip away my pride and ego, which took a moment, took a minute, you guys, but once I was able to strip that away and and my pursuit became not about being right, because I knew exactly what I believed. There was no God. There was no God. I wasn't agnostic where I didn't know if there was or wasn't. I knew for sure there wasn't. I was truly anchored in, you know, I was angry at, I thought it was just the most absurd thing ever to believe that there could be a God and any of the Bible stories could be true. So I've come a long way, you guys, come a long way. But I, um, I, I was so sure in what I knew And what's funny about that is when my husband started to ask me questions, and he wasn't my husband when this conversation began, 
But when he started to ask me questions about why I believed those things and how I had come to those conclusions, I really had my eyes open to, my goodness, I really don't have very good answers. I have very strong opinions, but I don't have very good answers. And I think that the how has been what kind of disrupted my search, right? Like the how I've come to these conclusions weren't based on absolutes. They were based on circumstances. They were based on feelings. They were based on opinions. They were based on other people's thoughts and feelings and opinions, right? And so once I was able to strip away my desire to be right in this argument, which was, took me a minute, I started to desire to know what was true. Okay, so it is really important to me that we protect and defend truth, that it exists and that it it has to remain a light. And I'll go a little bit further and say the absolute truth. And, you know, the, the argument to to argue that there is no absolute truth is in itself an absolute truth. Right. So you can't even argue that there is no absolute truth because then you'd be making an absolute truth that there is no absolute truth, right? So of course there's an absolute truth to the the question, is there a God or isn't there a God? There is an answer to that question. It is yes or it is no, it is an absolute answer. It is not somewhere in the gray. And what I'm recognizing, well, let me just back up one second. As I was pursuing what was true, I found that the absolute truth shone like a light in the darkness. When I truly went and looked for it, it was bright as could be. It was the only thing that made sense. When I truly put all the puzzle pieces together, when I really asked all of the hard questions, and this was over a number of years, this was not a quick conversion. I had a lot of life to strip away. I had a lot of thoughts and convictions to reevaluate and reconsider. But the absolute truth that I knew must exist to that question. There was or there wasn't a God, and it was absolute and final. And I I desired so much to know the truth to that question, the, the truthful answer to that question. You guys, the truth, the absolute truth about God is a light, and we need to protect it, okay? So that might seem easy. Maybe you're a Christian that you're like, absolutely, I'm on board with you, I agree. Good, let's start there. Let's start with that premise. But what I want to propose to you is what's happening in our culture right now and what's happening in our world, specifically here in the U.S., is an elimination of truth, an elimination of absolutes. Everything, everything, the littlest details, the things we took for granted as truthful and knowable are now being moved into gray, into subjective, into relative. Well, it depends on what you think about this. And this is something I investigate in my book that I am going to put out soon. And I'll let you know as soon as I know when it's going to be available, guys. What I proposed to my husband was what's true for you may not be true for me. Does this sound familiar? (laughs) Does this sound like normal rhetoric we're hearing right now? And he pushed back on me and said, that's actually not true. Truth doesn't matter what you think it is. Truth exists outside of someone believing in it, right? There is answers to these questions. Now, whether or not you get the right answer to whatever question doesn't really matter to the truth. It's going to exist. The truth exists. 
And so that really challenged me because we live in such a world of subjectivity. And I want to propose to you that there is a reason that there is such an attack and an affront on absolute truth in our culture right now, because we are there is an, a, an attempt to eliminate God. There always is an attempt to an element to eliminate God in a Marxist revolution, in a Marxist culture. And I hate to be like a spoiler alert if you haven't picked up on this, but we are absolutely walking in a subtle Marxist revolution. Okay. It's been going on for decades in our school system, specifically, I mean, in our public school, K through 12, but even more heavily um, executed in our college grads, you know, in our higher education. Um, and you can do your own little social experiment and ask any 18 through, you know, 30 year old right now, if they align more with like a socialist viewpoint, or if they are more, you know, American capitalist traditional values of what, you know, what America was founded on. And you're going to find the great, great majority is leaning left, is leaning socialist. You guys, that comes from a, a, an agenda that is being that has infiltrated our school system and it's not a secret this isn't like a conspiracy this was actually an intended movement kind of begun in the 60s and 70s and has been you know per, uh, perpetuated over the the last several decades and it's very blatantly openly obvious over 70% of college professors would self-proclaim as left-leaning so again, when you have that heavy of a bias in the teaching sphere in higher education, of course, you're going to come out with a bias, right? So we know that that's happening, but specifically to, to dig in a little bit deeper into this Marxism, if you're not familiar with what Marxism is, just on a just very surface level, um, Marxism refers to Karl Marx, who is a man, who's a, a person, who had some ideals around um, so the structure of government or you know, this it's it's very closely related to communism um, or I should say kind of redistribution of wealth and, you know, the restructuring of class system. And, um, you know, the the real root of Marxism, however, to understand it is it stands in direct opposition to capitalism, which, like it or not, America is currently operating in a uh, manipulated but in a capitalist uh, economic structure. So Marxism and the, the subversion that's happening in our culture right now is standing in opposition to that. So in it's our culture is standing in opposition to the way that our country functions. So this is causing disruption. This is causing confusion. It's causing chaos. It's causing anger. It's causing high emotions, right? And a lot of us can't really put our finger on it. But the goal of Marxism is destruction. It cannot just switch things around. It can't just switch it. It has to tear it down and rebuild it from scratch, right? So anything we take as a cultural norm, like the nuclear family against it, got to tear it down, got to disrupt that whole concept until we think that the nuclear family is just such a thing of the past. Who would even want that, right? Marriage, tear it down. Whatever we think marriage is, get rid of that, those normal, quote unquote, or I should say culturally held values. Get rid of them. They're gone. We need to disrupt what we think marriage is and rebuild it from the ground up. Uh, patriotism. What, is it, what does it mean to be an American? We've got to rip that down, 
to the ground and rebuild it up on different, different stilts, different foundation, right? So that's kind of the goal with what Marxism is doing in our culture. And that's why there is this really divisive situation happening in our world. I don't know if you guys feel it, but it just feels like we are being ripped in two very, very separate directions. And you might say like the new socialist movement versus the old traditional patriots, right? Like this is kind of, if I were to just box it up and make it really oversimplified, that's kind of the way that it looks, right? So there has to be a removal of absolute truth. There has to be a removal of God for this to work, okay? If you look at communist China, the communist, uh, the Chinese Communist Party, it is illegal to be a Christian. You are persecuted. There is gang raping and massive torture of Christian women of all age groups from very, very young all the way up to 70s and 80s. There's no discrimination. You are you can be imprisoned. You your social score is affected if you're even friends with a Christian. Right. And why is that? Why is there such a, a, a anger or a fear let's put our finger on it it's a fear of a higher power because the the authority has to remain in the communist government the authority has to remain in the state it can there cannot be a higher authority than the state and think about it christians if your allegiance if you are willing to put your life on the line for jesus if your allegiance is to the lord as it should be then the state cannot control you. At the end of the day, the state, you will always be free. You will always be free. And in communism, we can't have that. We can't have that <laughs> in a Marxist revolution. We can't have that. So I mentioned on my last podcast about homeschooling. Make sure you check that out. We're losing kids who are raised in the, Catholic, or in the Christian church are leaving their faith at the rate of more than 70% by the time they graduate high school. This is happening largely because of this Marxist revolution that's happening in the public school that's making everybody, you know, God's out of school entirely. We're talking about evolution. We're talking about the Big Bang. We're not talking about creation at all. We're not putting any of these Bible characters on a timeline. We're making them fiction. We're making them myths. We're making them fairy tales. We're not talking that about any of this in real context. So. Faith is no longer relative to the young person in public school. It's not relative um, or relevant, I should say. Uh, it's not relevant in their everyday life. And so they don't need it. And by the time they graduate high school, they don't, they don't have a, a need for it. It's not relevant. And then, of course, we learned that only 9% remain um, even nominally committed to a faith after coming out of higher education. So we can see that this is being removed from the school, right? It's being removed, not just from the school, but being removed from our, our kids' lives <laughs> entirely. And not just removed, but then replaced with something else. Replaced with something else. And this is something I talk about in my book also. In school, I learned about the Big Bang. In school, I learned about evolution. I never learned about creation. So when I was an adult, actually, when I was in high school, I learned that Jesus was an actual human man who walked the face of the earth. I, honest to goodness, believed that you could say, you could argue, he never even was alive. I, that's where my position was, was in high school I learned, you can't argue that, he's very documented. <laughs> now you can argue whether or not you believe he's the son of God, 
but you cannot argue that he walked on earth. And I didn't even know that. So I had made it all the way to high school without even learning that much. You guys, Jesus is arguably one of the most just profound historical figures, whether you believe he's the son of God or not. For all intents and purposes, there's no reason why we should even know about him. He was really in the public eye in any capacity for three years during his ministry. And he didn't do it. He wasn't a you know war hero. He didn't invent anything. He didn't do, he was a, a peasant for our purposes, right? So there's really just no natural reason why he should have been so documented, so recorded as he is and have such an effect on our culture today over 2000 years later, right? There's, but that's a side tangent, right? There's, you would think I would have heard about him in school. That's all I'm saying. You would think that he would have come up once or twice in school, but he didn't, he didn't for me. So if the goal is to eliminate God, if the goal is to eliminate God, then you have to eliminate truth. You have to eliminate absolute truth right? It has to be gone because if there is absolute answers, then we will be reminded there might be an absolute answer about, is there God, right? We can't, we don't even want to ask that question, but if that question gets asked, we want to make sure that no one thinks there's a truth about it. If we can make everything else in the world relative or subjective, if everything else has multiple answers, if everything else is somewhere in the spectrum of gray, then why on earth would we think there's a black and white answer about God? So what we're seeing is this massive attack on truth everywhere you look, everywhere you look. We've already seen it in, you know, the disruption of what was the biblical construct of marriage. Where did marriage come from? Where did that word come from? Where did that idea come from? Well, it came from our creator God. It's in the Bible, right? And this isn't my, like, this isn't my opinion. This is me pointing to where the truth of that question exists, right? And it's very defined there also as between one man and one woman. And again, this isn't like me being critical specifically of gay marriage. This is me being equally critical of gay marriage as I would be of a person with having multiple marriages throughout their life, right? Because it says one man, one woman, it doesn't say, and then you can get divorced and then marry whoever else. And actually there's lots of things it says against that, right? And this isn't me also standing from a place of sinless perfection, not even kind of sorta. It argues or it, it presents that the truth is once you become one flesh, like once you are physically intimate, once you, he knew Eve, Adam knew Eve, speaking in a intimate, you know, private way, then you're married. Then you're married. You become one flesh. You become married. That means if you are intimate sexually with another person in the eyes of the Lord, you are married to that person. So I got to tell you, I, having not been raised in the church, disclaimer, disclaimer, I would have lots of husbands if that were the standard for which I'm not proud of this. I don't say this from a position of proud. I say this from a position of broken, sinful humanity. Okay. So I'm being equally as critical of myself. But what I see as the um, problem here is not that there's sin all over the place. We know there's sin all over the place and we already have the answer for the sin that's all over the place. That answer is Jesus. 
Jesus covers all that sin, all of that sin, all of that sin, covered, done. That's not the problem. The problem is we're not talking about what the truth is anymore. We're not pointing to what the truth is anymore. What chance do we have to avoid the sin if we're not telling anyone the truth about how to avoid the sin, about what the designer intended for marriage? That's one example. <laughs> what about what is a life? Who defined life? Who creates life? Who gives life? When does life begin? There are answers to this question. It is an absolute truth. There isn't a question. It's not an argument. The Bible says, I knew you. I put you in your mother's womb. I knit you in your other mother's womb. I am not a very good uh, Bible recitist, as you might be catching on. I get the general. I memorize the gist. But you guys get where I'm going. These are truths that are defined in the Bible. And then in culture, what do we do? We argue about it. We make it gray. Well, life begins, I don't know, maybe after 22 weeks. Maybe when it's a fetus, it's, it has to be an BT-dub. Fetus, that word means little one, okay, giving you a little indication. But we argue, I don't know, maybe it's after 22 weeks. Maybe it's after they're born. Maybe it's shortly after they're born. They're still not quite a life that's protected by the Constitution. Like, there's an argument about it. There's an argument. We're not sure. There's a grayness around this issue, which blows my mind because it's so clearly defined. We actually don't get to put those parameters on what a life is and when a life starts because it's already defined. There is a truth. It is absolute. It isn't gray. <laughs> we as the church need to be sure we're saying what that truth is, okay? And I, we don't have to get political about it, although I would encourage you to have a strong voice in, in politics. But we do need to be sure that we're saying the truth, especially, you guys, like I said, absolute truth is a beacon. It is a light in the dark. It is a light. It gives, it's a lighthouse. It guides people so that they can know what the answer is so that they don't have to fall into the sin, right? It's a blessing. So don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of it. What's another example? Here's another kind of cultural example. What is a terrorist? Because... I remember in 2001, when I remember exactly where I was on September 11th, I'm sure you do if you're old enough, <laughs> you remember where you were. And I remember feeling certain things, and I remember absolutely rationalizing our nation's movements over the, the years that followed that, and the wars that we went into, and I didn't think twice about it. And then when we had the Patriot Act come out, I'm going to talk about that. If you don't know what that is, I'm going to talk about that on another podcast, but that was a huge red flag, you guys, to what's happening. It was such a huge precursor. The Patriot Act was such a huge precursor to what we're seeing in 2020 and 2021 in terms of what fear will do to people and how we will give up our liberties and our freedoms so fast if we feel it will make us safer. You guys, God did not give us a spirit of fear, and it is for this. It is for this reason, because he knew we will be manipulated by fear. The enemy uses fear. There is fear of God, which is reverence. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that fear. I'm talking about the fear that we're experiencing 
by putting masks on our face and, you know, having all kinds of crazy rules around what is real and what is not real. And that's another thing that's been moved into gray, right, is science. The science says this. No, the science says this. No, we don't know what to trust. No, it could be this. Might be this. Could be this. We're just not sure. Now it's this. It was this, but now it's this. Now that we have more data, it's this. Nope, this doctor says it's this. That's a complete gray, completely gray, <laughs> completely gray. And everybody wants to hang on to science as if it's absolute, and yet it's shifting. We watched it shift all over, all the live long day in 2020. It's not absolute. That's not where absolute truth is defined. But let's go back to terrorist. What is a terrorist? When we started our war on terror, I thought that's so interesting because what's terror? Terror is fear. The, the definition of the word terror is fear. So we, we went on a global war on fear, on people, like on boogeymen, on people who make us feel afraid. Is that what we were warring? Is that what we're still warring on today? Because that's what part of the Patriot Act was all about, domestic terrorism. You never, it's not just about enemies that are, you know, across the ocean, enemies that are in other countries. No, we could have terrorists right here in our backyard. We, you could be a terrorist. I could be a terrorist. Actually, as a matter of fact, I've been called a terrorist. I've not broken a single law, not broken a single law to be called a terrorist. But here, as I live and breathe, right? Because we don't have a, we don't have an absolute truth about what is a terrorist. What does that even mean? We can just call anyone that, right? And on that note, what's racism? What is a racist? We're throwing that around. These are two terms, terrorism and racism, that are being so overused in our culture that not only have they moved into just complete gray, muddy muck, but it's kind of like crying wolf, right? When there actually is a racist or when there actually is a terrorist, those words will hold no weight. Those things will mean zero things because we so overuse them and because we've muddied the waters of what those things are. <laughs> I've also been called a racist, having nothing at all to do with race, right? I was called a racist for some other thing that had nothing at all to do with race. This is so strange, but it's absolutely part of blurring the lines, erasing truth, erasing absolutes. Truth is, if I call you it, it's true. That's now the definition of racism or terrorist. If I call you it, you're it. This can't be the way, guys. This cannot be the way. I don't know. I couldn't give you a definition of a terrorist, honestly. I, I don't even know what we're, what we're after with that word anymore. But I, I have enough of a grip on racism still to understand that a racist is somebody who has a sin nature in their mind, right? It's a broken mindset. And it is sinful. And it is real. And it exists. But it is in the individual and it is in their mind and it will be acted out in the form of prejudice or discrimination. Those are the actions of racism. But it has to do with race and anyone of any color can be racist against another person, another race. OK, that's my definition of racism. I'm going to I'm going to stick with that, even though that's been absolutely thrown out the window. And I'm going to do a whole nother podcast on critical race theory and what um, what's that about, because that is a beautiful example. I use that word facetiously, a beautiful example of Marxism in our culture. So the last example being gender, 
this one is so strange to me because this one is one of those things where biology, science, the truth of God all intersect. They all intersect and very clearly define what gender is. And yet we are up to, I think Facebook, I've seen it shift, allows for between 50 and 73 is the highest I saw it. 73 options of gender. 73 options of gender. You guys, absolute truth is a light in the darkness. Absolute truth is a lighthouse to guide people. We are a fallen people. There's no avoiding that. There is an answer to our sin. There is a covering for our sin, but you cannot find the grace and mercy of that covering if you cannot see where the truth is. Church, you have got to be willing to say what the truth is. You've got to be willing to speak the truth because that is the light in the darkness and we are descending into incredible darkness. Fast. I don't know if you feel it. It is disintegrating fast. There are truths. They are absolute. They are not your opinions. So you can release any burden of that. This is not the truth as seen by Wendy. (laughs) This is the truth as defined by the creator, right? And it is to see the truth is to be blessed, right? The Bible says the truth will set you free. Not like to know the answer. That's not what that verse means. If I know the answer, if I know what the truth is of any question, then I'll be set free. No, no, no. The truth has freedom. If you know there is a truth of God and a truth of his son and a truth of the grace and the covering of the sin, that is what sets you free. That is the light. That is the light. We have got to be willing to fight back against this cancel culture of absolute truth. There's a cancel culture of people happening here. And ironically, these things are connected. The cancel culture is aimed at the people who are speaking the truth because the cancel culture isn't actually aimed at people. It's aimed at the words coming out of their mouth. And it is the truth of God. There is a target on God right now. And we as a church have got to be willing to stand in the gap and to speak that truth loudly. So don't fall for it, guys. Don't let fear, which is from the enemy, it is not from God, not from God. Don't let fear silence your voice. Don't let fear control you. I'm reading a great book. I've mentioned it a bunch of times called Live Not By Lies. It's called, it's by Rod Dreher. D-R-E-H-E-R. I don't know how you say his last name. It's a fantastic book, just encouraging us in these crazy times. And it's it's looking through a historical uh, perspective of communism, um, uh, Bolshevik, uh, the Bolshevik revolution and Marxism. The very least, you may not be the person that's able to stand out at your job or at your church or wherever you find yourself in this life. You might not be the person that's able to have a voice for the truth. But you can, in the very least, live not by lies. You do not have to align with lies. You do not have to align with things that you know are not true. Fight for the truth, guys. Fight for the truth. You're here on this earth in this timeline for such a time as this. Let's do this. 
Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate this podcast and tell all your friends. And of course, catch me over at gainingmyperspective.com. Dear Lord, I pray that this would be a blessing, that these words would be your words, Lord, that they would land on the hearts of the listeners and that we would have our eyes shifted upwards and we would stop looking to the right and to the left and blaming to the right and blaming to the left. And yet we would look up at you and see that you are where the absolute truth are. You are the definition of truth. You are the definer. You are the creator. You are where all the answers are. Lord, I pray that we would be brought to our knees in this battle and that we would recognize spiritual warfare when we see it. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.